over the past couple of years and throughout the first three seasons of Nordic True Crime, we have covered several truly horrifying cases to which many of our regular listeners will no doubt agree. But this week's case is probably the worst and most disturbed we have researched to date. When listening to a true crime podcast, most people are readily aware that there is a fair chance that you will hear some pretty graphic or gruesome descriptions of what occurred during a crime. However, in regards to this week's episode, I would just like to warn our listeners that this specific case contains some very disturbing details and will not be for everyone. Please listen at your own discretion. In 2001, a couple move in together into a secluded house in the woods with dreams and ambitions of starting a business of their own. They soon meet another couple with similar interests and the foursome decide that four heads are better than two and that if they put their interests and business ideas together, then they can make a success out of their passion. However, There is one person in the group who has no intention whatsoever of starting a business. This person has other plans. Plans of the most sadistic and twisted nature most can even imagine. This is Nordic True Crime. Kjell Åke Johansson was born on the 30th of November 1955. At just three years old, his parents divorced and he went to live with his father. But his father was a chronic alcoholic and when he drank, he would become very violent. Violence, which his son was often on the receiving end of, so Shiloke tended to spend a lot of time with his grandparents to escape the worst of his alcoholic father's abuse. Unfortunately for him, his grandparents were not much better than his father. His grandfather was just like his dad and would often hit Shiloke and demean him in front of everyone without a care in the world. On one occasion, when Shiloke was just a young kid, he was out playing when he happened to cycle past some of his classmates on his bike. He stopped and asked them if he could play with them, to which they agreed. Delighted, he jumped off his bike and joined his friends. They were all having a good time together. That was until Shiloke's grandfather arrived. 
He was in a state of fury and grabbed hold of Shiloke, pulled his trousers down and gave him a spanking right in front of his classmates. He said that he hadn't given him permission to play with his friends and that he should go home immediately. And with that, he grabbed the young boy by the ear and dragged him back to the house. He was in floods of tears. The feelings of humiliation and fear far outweighed the physical pain he was feeling. Sherlock's father, just like his grandfather, would also hit his son in front of his friends. Unsurprisingly, the violent and mentally abusive upbringing he endured greatly affected young Sherlocke. He started to develop nervous facial tics and the fragile condition of his mental state soon began to manifest itself in worrying ways. For instance, when one of his friends wanted to leave Sherlock's house and go home, he refused to let him do so and tried to lock him inside the house. He eventually got out, but this early display of unusual behavior would only be an early indication of the very dark and sinister path Sherlock's life would take. One warm summer day, two seven-year-old girls, who we have decided to call Anna and Maria, were taking a nice cool dip in the lake on the outskirts of the small village where Shiloki lived. They had just finished swimming for the day and were about to cycle home when Shiloki arrived. He began chatting away with the girls and they soon decided that the three of them should play a board game. The only problem was that they didn't have the game with them, so Maria quickly decided that she would cycle home to get it and return to the lake. Soon after Maria left, Shalåke asked Anna if she wanted to see a bird's nest which contained newly born chicks, an invitation which an excited Anna gladly accepted. Together they walked through some trees and bushes, but instead of showing her the bird's nest as he had promised, Shalåke told Anna that they were going to play families. And with that, he pulled down his trousers and threw himself on top of the young girl and attempted to rape her. Anna screamed as loud and as much as she could, while squirming and twisting with all the strength she could muster up in an attempt to get out of her attacker's tight grip. But as she was only seven years old, she really didn't stand much chance against someone double her age, as at the time of the attack, Shalåke was 14 years old. But she didn't give up. She continued to try and fight him off, and suddenly, to her surprise, he let her go, without being able to carry out what he had initially intended. Anna ran for her life, throwing herself onto her bike and cycled as fast as she possibly could all the way home to the safety of her family. However, for reasons unknown, the incident was never reported to the police, but if it would have been, then the despicable and depraved acts that were to occur in the coming years may have possibly been avoided. After finishing school, Shell-Åke found work in various day-to-day jobs, but was never able to find permanent employment. Instead, 
he gained most of his income through social benefits and committing petty crimes. He soon realized that he possessed the ability of being able to dupe people. Manipulation came easy to him. For instance, there was an old man who stayed on the outskirts of the village. He lived alone and didn't have anyone to help him or check in on him, so Shilwaka decided to offer to help him out. He made arrangement with the local store, explaining that he would do the weekly shopping for the old man, to which the owner of the store agreed to make a running tab of all the purchases made. But through time, the old man became too old and frail to live by himself and had to move into a home which provided 24-hour care. And with the move came the awful truth of what was really going on. The man had been giving money to Shilwoke to do his shopping, but he had decided to keep it all to himself. Not only had he kept the money, but he had also kept all the groceries to himself, leaving the old man to starve. On moving into the care home, it quickly became apparent to the staff that the man was severely undernourished. Shilwoke continued with his life of crime, and when in his 20s he was convicted of theft, driving under the influence of alcohol, and fraud, crimes which landed him with a short-term prison sentence. By this time, he had also developed an alcohol addiction, and just like his father, he was a mean drunk. He met a girl from another town who he soon moved in together with. But there was one problem. She had two kids who were living with her, a daughter who was three years old and the son who was only one. And Shiloke didn't like them. Instead of just breaking up with the woman and finding someone who didn't have kids, he chose to do something else. He chose to abuse and torture the two innocent children, a toddler and a baby. He forced the three-year-old to eat mouthfuls of black pepper and pulled her hair so hard that big chunks came out. He also beat her black and blue and made her shower in freezing cold water. One time, he even held her leg tightly and then twisted it so much and so hard that it broke. He then forced the little girl, while slapping her in the face, to stand on her broken leg, giving no care whatsoever to the excruciating pain she was going through. The beatings were relentless. Broken collarbones and severe bruising was a regular occurrence. Sadly, the one-year-old boy wasn't immune to Shiloke's sadistic ways. He once held the defenseless baby under really hot water, leaving him with second-degree burns all over his tiny little body. Shiloke was arrested for the abuse of the children and spent just four years in prison for his despicable crimes. He was released in 1988 and moved back home to the small village where he had grown up. But in small villages, everybody knows everybody. The inhabitants were not at all happy to see him again. They were all very much aware of what he had done. He was understandably treated with hostility, disgust and contempt. However, this didn't stop him from hooking up with a new girlfriend, and she soon moved in with him at his grandfather's farm. 
and it didn't take long before the outside world caught its first glimpse of the sinister goings-on at the family farm. One day, an electrician was called to the property to carry out some maintenance work. On arrival, he was made aware that he would have to move a meter adapter to the outside of the wall, so he made his way up to the attic in order to gain access to said meter. Once there, he made a very unsettling discovery hanging from one of the roof beams. It was a noose, and underneath it sat a stool. The scene was clearly set up for a hanging. The hair stood up on the back of the electrician's neck. He quickly finished his work and hurried outside towards his vehicle. But as he came outside, Sheloke's girlfriend said that she was just going into town to buy some groceries and asked Sheloke to watch her child. Yes, his new girlfriend had a child, a 10-month-year-old daughter, who was about to be left alone with a convicted child abuser. According to the electrician, Sheloke asked him to carry out further electrical work in the barn before he went inside the house with the baby. The electrician had a very uneasy feeling, which he couldn't shake. Just a short while later, whilst working in the barn, he heard a heart-wrenching scream coming from the baby. Knowing that something terrible must have happened, he rushed inside the house. But when there, everything seemed pretty much normal. Sheloke was casually sitting on the sofa, feeding the baby with a bottle. So he left the house and the property when he was finished working in the barn. However, just a few weeks after the electrician had been at the farm, an ambulance was called to the property. The baby girl had been badly beaten and was rushed to the hospital, where she sadly later died from her injuries. It turned out that she had been suffering abuse at the hands of Sheloke over a sustained period of time. Some of the abuse she suffered in the lead-up to her death is stomach-churning. He had struck her repeatedly on the head and on the throat. He then held a towel firmly over her mouth when she began to throw up, causing the vomit to run back down her windpipe, which led to her developing severe pneumonia. The official cause of death was bleeding on the brain from the excessive blunt force trauma she had received to the head. It was also later discovered that she was severely malnourished. In 1990, Sheloke was convicted of the death of the baby girl, but not with the charge of murder. Instead, he was convicted of involuntary manslaughter and received only six years in prison. After his release in 1998, he moved to another town where he met a woman. Her name was Margareta. She had no idea of her boyfriend's criminal past, and since the gift of charm came naturally to him, she never suspected a thing. In 2001, they've moved into a rented farmhouse in the woods, in a small village called Aspa, and together they opened a dog kennel. Margareta had a passion for dogs, and through this passion, they got to know another couple who shared the same interest, 
Birgitta Lönnhager and her partner, Dawn. They became good friends and Kjellåke soon came up with a proposal to become business partners and open up a larger kennel together. He really sold the idea to the couple, particularly Birgitta. So in 2002, she and Dawn moved into Kjellåkes and Margareta's farm out in the middle of the woods. A decision which would end up being the worst of Birgitta's life. It started well enough. The couples would spend the evenings playing cards and other games together. But not before long, Shelokes true colors shone through. He would make them all drink excessive amounts of alcohol, which had a profound effect on Birgitta and Don, as they rarely drank. And slowly but surely, Shelokes tightened his hold on the couple and began to manipulate them, just as he had done with so many others before. For some reason, he targeted Birgitta. It initially began when he became angry with her, allegedly over a large sum of money she had bet when they were playing poker one evening. For angering him, he struck her as a punishment. But the abuse escalated rapidly. He would force her to run barefoot at the front of the house on a driveway which consisted of tiny sharp pebbles and also made her swim in the nearby frozen creek. The booze-fueled nightly card sessions only got worse. One evening, Shaloka punched Birgitta really hard in the face, and after the attack, she told him that her nose felt strange. He told her that he would fix it, and with that he grabbed and pulled it, only making it worse, leaving her in agony for months on end. He would also kick her, and beat her on a regular basis. On one occasion, he grabbed her arm, twisting it with such force that it broke, much like he did many years before with the three-year-old girl's leg. Dawn and Margareta tried to tell him that the arm was clearly broken and that she needed medical care, but he claimed that it was only a muscle injury and that it was nothing that a massage wouldn't take care of. He then wrapped a bandage around Birgitta's arm, pulled it straight, and then claimed that he had fixed the problem. The twisted mind of Shaloke continued to conjure up new methods of inflicting all kinds of abuse and misery on poor Birgitta. One time, he tied her to a chair and put special padded arms, which are normally used to train police dogs, on both of her arms one of which was still broken. He then told his two dogs, a Rottweiler and a German Shepherd, to attack her. The dogs took a firm bite of the padded arms and threw Birgitta around the room like a rag doll, much to the amusement of Shilwake. Other sadistic methods of torture included beating up Birgitta with dog leashes and horse whips, and sometimes He would even cut her with knives and pour lighter fluid on different parts of her body before setting her alight. One evening, he was so angry with her because she wouldn't confess to having abused her children, a claim made solely by Shiloke and something that he wanted her to admit to, even though she insisted that it wasn't true. In his fury, Shiloke sneaked up behind her and pushed the tip of an electric drill into her ear, 
before pressing the power button. He then drilled the inside of her other ear, leaving her in agony with blood pouring down both sides of her neck. Even though Birgitta was the main target of his abuse, Don also suffered at the hands of Shelloke. One day, he forced them all to go out to the garage, where he demanded Don to stand up on a bench. He then proceeded to tie a noose around one of the beams under the roof. He told Don that he was tying a special kind of noose that would break his neck instantly if he was to fall from the stool. Don was made to put the rope around his neck whilst his tormentor burned his feet with the blowtorch. At the same time as he was burning Don's feet, he doused Brigitta in motor oil and began to burn her with the blowtorch, leaving her with a severe flesh wound on her arm. One time, he even threw a knife at Brigitta, which cut her nose, leaving her with a gaping wound. He told her that he wanted to fix it and used a special wound spray intended for dogs. He gave her a little spray on the nose, but decided to continue to spray the contents of the canister all over her face and neck, because the spray left a metallic color which he thought looked hilarious. And as a method of further humiliating and dehumanizing Birgitta, he shaved all her hair off. Margareta, Dawn and Birgitta had all become victims of his violence and were now very much under his control. The initial plans to start the kennel company, of course, never materialized. They were all living on benefits and didn't have a social network of friends and family where they felt they could turn to. Shiloke had even convinced them that he knew some people who would soon be coming to the farm to take care of them and bury them all in the woods. And in the event that he decided not to have them killed, then he would have them sectioned for being crazy. He was both very persuasive and convincing. He went as far as making fake phone calls and sending fake text messages, pretending to order black vans to come and take away Don, Margareta and Birgitta. They were terrified and believed every word he said. And why wouldn't they? He had tortured them both physically and mentally to the extreme, so they continued to do what they were told in order to try and stay alive. Despite this, attempts were made to escape. After building up the courage, a brave Birgitta tried to get help. She sent a text message to social services, stating that she was in desperate need of help. The text read, It's not Dan. He's innocent. It's an armed person. But when they contacted her, she denied ever sending the text. So nobody was sent to investigate. And one evening, they even tried to make a run for it. Don, Margareta and Birgitta climbed into the car and sped off. But Shiloka jumped into his van and drove after them. He soon caught up with a terrified trio and rammed the side of the car so hard that he came to a halt. After around three and a half months of systematic torture and abuse, things were about to come to a devastating end for Birgitta. 
During one attack, Shelwalker began kicking her repeatedly in the stomach, resulting in her suffering from internal bleeding. When it was over, she told Dawn that she felt as though something strange and even serious was happening inside her stomach. Dawn pleaded with Shelwalker to let Birgitta see a doctor, but he refused, as of course, he knew that everything he had done to her over the last few months would come to light if she was to visit a hospital, and he really didn't want to spend any more time in prison. So Birgitta received no medical attention and was left to carry on alone with serious internal injuries. During the night, Shiloka tied Birgitta to her bed because he claimed that she kept the dogs up when she moved about. He also tied the door shut with a dog leash so that she and Dawn couldn't get out. This of course meant that Birgitta was not able to go to the bathroom during the night and had to urinate in her clothes. The next morning, the 27th of May, 2002, Birgitta was in such a bad state that she needed help from Margareta to get to the shower. She had trouble walking by herself and was extremely weak from the countless injuries she had received. Later that same day, she collapsed, and both Dawn and Margareta desperately performed CPR on her in an attempt to save her life, but it was too late. Birgitta's body could fight no more and succumbed to the months of endured torture and abuse. Shelwalke then made Dawn and Margareta get rid of any evidence of the torture Birgitta had suffered including getting rid of things like bloody bandages and her mobile phone. They then put her in the trunk of a car in the garage, where she stayed for three days before Dan drove the vehicle into the woods and set it alight. The day before this, Shelwalke had forced Dan to write a letter which she had posted to himself. It stated in the letter that Dan had killed Birgitta because he was fed up with her lies and deceit. He was then given instructions to call the police from the blazing car and say that he had just killed his girlfriend, to which he did. But whilst he was speaking to the emergency dispatcher, he just couldn't go through with the last part of Shiloka's plan. He had told Don that he should hang himself in the woods after calling the police. Instead, Don waited for the police to arrive and then told them the truth. Both Shelwalke and Margareta were arrested, and it was not until Margareta broke down whilst in custody that she too told them the truth about what had been going on at the farm. During a search of the house, the police confiscated five different computers and one digital camera. They were able to recover most of the deleted photographs and they were shocked by what they revealed. It turned out that Chaloke had documented the horrible torture he had carried out on Birgitta. There were pictures of her face covered in the silver spray intended for use on the dogs, as well as one of her bleeding from the ears in the aftermath of the drill attack, the flesh wound on her arm caused by the burning motor oil, her shaved head, her badly broken nose, her broken arm, and many, many more images of abuse. There was a stark contrast in emotions between the person taking the pictures 
and the person being photographed. It was clear that Chaloke had taken them purely for his amusement and self-gratification, whilst the badly injured Begitta stood there on the other end of the lens in severe physical and emotional discomfort. Shiloke Johansson was convicted on the 28th of November 2002 to life in prison for the murder and torture of Begitta. He showed absolutely no remorse whatsoever for the crimes he had committed, and if he hadn't been caught, that is, if Don would have followed his orders and hung himself in the woods after setting the car alight, then he most likely would have been free to go on and find more victims to abuse and torture. In an interview with Swedish television Channel 4, Birgitta's daughter Elin talked about her mother. She said that her mother was a good person who really enjoyed both baking cookies and knitting. And even though Elin didn't live with Birgitta, she was still in regular contact with her via telephone. But when she moved in with Chiloke and Margareta, the phone calls became less frequent. Elin admitted that she became annoyed with her mother for never turning up to planned meetings and told her that she was very disappointed in her. This, she said, is something she really regrets, as she wishes that she could take it back. She also said that she regularly asked herself why she never knew that something wasn't right and why her mother never tried to warn her. She also said when thinking back, she does remember thinking that it sounded as though someone was listening into their phone calls from another phone, which was more than likely true, as Shalohke would do anything he could to make sure that she wasn't trying to alert anyone as to what was happening at the house. Elin also explained that she had suffered reoccurring nightmares in which she's trapped inside a doorless room with white walls, all except for one, which was made of glass. On the other side of the glass wall was another room where Birgitta was sitting, chained to a chair. The door to her mother's room suddenly opens. She can see a man walking in. He starts to viciously beat her, and Eileen can't do anything to help her. She can only watch whilst the abuse continues. Eileen has chosen to deal with her trauma by talking about what happened to her mother. She is a mother herself now and wants to work with young kids who have had a tough time growing up. She still struggles with life as most families and friends of murder victims do. And she often wonders why Shiloke tortured and murdered her mother. A question that in its essence may have a simple and at the same time disturbing answer. He did it because he just didn't care.
Helen Puttock kisses her two children goodbye as she heads off to spend the night dancing at Glasgow's Barrowland Ballroom. Whilst there, she meets a young handsome man by the name of John. Throughout their conversation, John inexplicably quotes from the Bible. The following morning, Helen's body is discovered, strangled by the very stocking she had worn the night previous. The man responsible. We are talking about one Bible John. This is a Bible John. Bible John. For this and other cases like it, I'm Jess, and this is Skinwalker. Search for Skinwalker True Crime on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.